Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 323 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me this week, well, no one, it's just me this week. And here's why. I think you'll agree that during this pandemic and the crazy time with baseball being delayed for who knows how long, here at Red Leg Nation Radio, we've tried our best to keep you entertained, keep you laughing, keep you uh, amused during such strange times in our country. If you haven't been listening to our Building the Machine series, you really need to. We're up through 1976 and uh, going to have the last few episodes of the podcast, 77, 78, 79, and then a wrap-up episode coming to you every Monday. I encourage each of you to listen to those. I know a lot of you have, and we've gotten great feedback, and I really appreciate that. Just a little something extra we wanted to do while there was no actual baseball to try to, you know, keep us uh, together as a as a community, I guess. Something to talk about and something to enjoy. Same with these podcasts every week. I've tried to bring you one every single Friday morning, as we always do, and I'm going to continue to do that. But there's very little to talk about most weeks. I am going to get into the news, but then I'm going to replay a couple of interviews that most of you probably have not heard, unless you've been listening to the podcast for a long, long time. One is the first time that Tucker Barnhart, a longtime friend of the program, Reds catcher Tucker Barnhart, we talked to him in 2011. So we're talking about almost a decade ago at this point. And this was the first time we actually got a chance to speak with him. And he talked about uh, being drafted by his sort of local team. You know, he's from uh, Indiana and what that meant to him and what he felt like he needed to do to get to the big leagues. Really fun interview that uh, our guy Bill Lack did with Tucker way back when. We're also going to have a look back at an interview we did with Jesse Winker, another current Red. It's back when he was in the minor leagues talking about what he needed to do to get to the big leagues. So I thought it would be interesting in lieu of any actual news or very little actual news to discuss, I thought it would be interesting to go back and look at those interviews when they were not yet Reds, these current Reds before they were Reds. Uh, it gives a little bit different context on those discussions. So we'll have those for you here later. Tucker Barnhart first and then Jesse Winker. But first, I want to talk about what's been going on in the news. If you want more brand new content, listen to Building the Machine. I'm telling you, uh, we're having a great time producing those. The response has been good. They've been fun, and it's been fun to go back. And I've learned a lot about the Big Red Machine going back through that, even though, you know, I wrote a book about uh, the Reds history. So, anyway, since we were with you last, there's been a little bit of negotiating in the media between the players and the owners. And it's really, really kind of irritating to watch how the owners are playing this uh, this whole negotiation thing. Because it's typical. What always happens in these things, and I don't care where you fall on the uh, you know management-labor divide, the fact is owners have a long history of kind of playing their hand out in the media. And for whatever reason, everyone jumps on, uh, out and uh, screams about how the players are selfish or the players... The players always end up looking bad, and it really makes no sense to me, frankly. I think both sides have uh, some some blame, I guess, every time there's some kind of a work stoppage or some of these discussions, but it seems like the players are the only ones that ever actually get the blame for it. What happened this week was, and we'll start with John Heyman, who's, uh, you know, every time I mention John Heyman's name, i got to qualify with, you know, don't take this at face value, trust but verify, as they say. He's been wrong about a few things. But he uh, tweeted a few things, because that's how you break news in 2020. You tweet 
What has happened to this world? Anyway, he tweeted first of all that uh, Major Baseball Players Union are going to resume talks about return scenarios and potential dates. He said next week. This was last Friday that he tweeted this. So this, we're, you're hearing this probably on Friday, the following Friday. So this week that those talks did actually happen. So he was right about that. His report was that early July remained the best case scenario, depending on the virus, the data, availability of testing. Regular divisions remained the thought. Play at home parks is the goal where possible. So, and some of that's what we had already talked about in our earlier podcast. That'd been kind of the, the discussion that the teams had been, the ownership anyway, had been hoping that early July could be the, the start time. And it's interesting to see what's going on around the world as well. You know, in, in Italy, which obviously was extremely hard to hit, and, and they're, it, it hit them earlier than it hit America. But they announced that uh, Serie A, their soccer division, is going to start back up in mid-June. So I, I don't know I don't know what that means, whether that's the right decision or wrong decision. I'm not making any comment on that. Just to say it's going to be interesting to see how each league and each country around the world kind of deals with these things. We've seen, you know, Korea, we saw their response, and then, they, you know, they're starting their baseball season. So baseball's uh, goal has been early July, I think. Obviously, they would have liked to bring it back a lot earlier, but... Uh, the most, uh, the earliest goal that you could conceivably say is realistic given the current situation, probably early July. So that's what they're shooting for. We'll see if it if it happens. Now, Heyman also laid out some the fact that testing capabilities are something that needs to be there, obviously. And I was interested, and in, and looking at what Doug Gray wrote as well at RedLegNation.com. If you're not going to RedLegNation.com every day, please do, especially now during this uh, pandemic. Doug's site is ad-supported, and just just go visit visit the site because he's, he's covering the Reds every single day, That to the team at redlegnation.com. So anyway, I was interested in what uh, Doug also was interested in is that Heyman said, oh, they're talking about regular divisions because I, I kind of uh, assumed that we'd go to at least some different format. It's something we've talked about on our Slack channel. You know, if, you follow, if you're a supporter of Red Leg Nation Radio at patreon.com slash redlegradio, we have a Slack channel where we, we discuss things occasionally, and it's uh, sometimes really active, sometimes not. Right now, you know, it comes and goes because of what the way things are going. But we had a really interesting discussion this week about those divisions and how it would play out. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But I had just assumed there'd be some shifting, shuffling up. Let's talk about it now, actually. Universal designated hitter is something that everyone seems to think is going to happen in any kind of a uh, deal this year. And, okay, I, I hate the designated hitter for aesthetic reasons. If you like it, okay, fine, whatever. I'm not going to argue with you. Like what you like. I just, uh, I don't know. I like uh, I like the way the game is played in the National League better than I like in the minor and the American League. Is it a huge difference? No. But I, just, I prefer it. Okay. You know, whatever. I'm assuming, though, given even even me, anti-DH, I'm assuming they're going to go with the Universal DH this year, and I think if they do that, they're going to. We're always going to have the designator. The DH is just going to be a thing in both leagues. And my thought was, if they're doing that, you know, we have interleague play now. If the DH is in both leagues, there's really no justification for having an American League and a National League. Really, there's not, and that's the, something that. We discussed the, on our Slack channel, and and you know I would encourage you go uh, support us if you're able at Patreon.com/slash/RedLegRadio, and you can join in the conversation with us about all this every single day. And I've been really gratified those of you that have supported the podcast 
support of this community at Patreon because uh, you're hanging with us throughout all this. Uh, almost uh, uh, some of you, I know, have had had some issues, and it's a tough time financially. If you can't, whatever, don't. We're going to keep bringing you this podcast every week. But there's some perks over there, and uh, and we, we continue to get gain uh, patrons over there. It's really surprised me, even without baseball. And I, I hope that's because we're providing some something that's uh, really value to y'all. Okay, that's enough. Enough. I don't uh, do advertisements on this podcast, and uh, that's starting to sound like one. I get a little uncomfortable with that, but I do appreciate those of you that are that are supporting us. So anyway, why don't they just jumble everything up? If we're going to have a DH anyway, and just go straight to NHL, NBA, you can still call the two, uh, instead of Eastern Conference, Western Conference, or whatever, you can still call it the American and National Leagues. But let's just change things uh, geographically, whatever. You know what? It, Again, why are we clinging to this notion that there are two different leagues if there are, is no difference and we're playing teams in the other league? Just go ahead. I, you've already screwed up the, the league of my childhood in terms of my nostalgic desire to have things be exactly as they were when I was 11 years old. <laughs> you know, as everyone has that kind of a perspective. So whatever, you know, just, just blow it up. Okay, anyway, let's get back. Heyman also said... A majority of teams favored spring training at their regular home parks in franchise cities where possible. And the Reds, there's been some discussion about where the Reds would actually do that. Would it be a great American ballpark? I don't know. It's, it's crazy. And again, that's going to depend on what states are, are permitting. So so anyway, there, there you go. What's, that's what the ownership was going to propose. They also propose, were going to propose, according to Heyman, Limited travel, no cross-country country flights, more divisional play, expanded rosters, taxi squads, and I think both those are a great idea. Let's have a, you know, thirty or thirty-five man roster, and you got to designate twenty-five guys every day that are actually eligible to play in that game. Do it, do it like hockey uh, or like soccer. Um, expanded playoffs, more experience, runner on second base, next innings. Get out of here with that nonsense. More double headers, fine. Fewer off days. Etc. So anyway, that was the talk, and of course, uh, the owners did in fact send a plan to the players, and it was dead on arrival, which I completely understand. And the players are getting they're getting hammered for this, but I don't understand why they are getting hammered. Essentially, baseball sent this plan to start the. And this was their first proposal. Now, let's not, it's not saying that we're laying down the law here. This is a negotiation between the ownership and the players' union. So no one is, is locked into any of these positions. That's how a negotiation goes. But essentially, you know, we'll start this time, early July, and 50-50 revenue split. The players and the owners would share league revenues in, 2020, in 2020, 50-50. And the players are like, no, because, you know, a couple of months ago, they already had a negotiation and they agreed that the players would get their prorated salaries for 2020. So if they start in July, basically that's half the season over. So they're already getting 50% of their salary. And they're like, well, we already negotiated this. Why are we going back to this? And of course, it's the owner going back and trying to renegotiate things that they've already negotiated. And they're saying, well, you know, when we negotiated that, we thought it was because there was going to be fans in the stands. And now there's not going to be fans in the stands for at least some of the season. So our revenues are going to be down. Okay, right. <laughs> That's probably going to be true. You still have a ton of revenues. And and the part that really kind of gets me about this argument is for years, now the 
players have had the benefit of the fact that, that baseball has grown exponentially. The revenues are way up over the last, let's say, 10 years. Revenues, when you consider uh, you know, television contracts and uh, online streaming revenue and all that, the revenues have gone through the roof. It's a billion-dollar business, multi-billion dollar business at this point. And the players have gotten some of the benefit of that. Their salaries, by and large, have grown substantially over the last 10 years. They flattened out the last two or three years, but they've, they've pretty much grown. So they've gotten the benefit of that. But the owners have gotten the lion's share of the benefit of that. And that's fine, because the argument is, you know, uh, the, the risk-reward, right? Owners are taking the risk, so they should get the, the reward. Okay. Well, the uh, the other side of risk is if the if the you get the reward for taking that risk when the risk doesn't work out, you also got to kind of pay the price for that. And of course, the owners don't want to do that because money and that you don't get to be an owner of a major league baseball team if you're not really really wealthy. And if you if you're you know just uh, tossing money around, they want to shift that risk now, the risk of loss to the players. So, okay, whatever. I understand why they're doing that. I don't understand why people are yelling at the players for not wanting to play. Oh, man, they're getting paid so much and they won't go play this kid's game. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, that's not how that, that's not how it works. If you're going to take the risk, you got, you got the risk of loss as well. And so I, I think the players are justified in saying we already bargained here. We already discussed it. And frankly, uh, you know, the players, the owners would be giving the players something in these negotiations. They're talking about larger rosters. is something that the players' union has wanted forever. So that's more big league players. And uh, I think ultimately having a DH in both leagues will also raise salaries for, for hitters anyway. And a little bit. Be more opportunities for certain hitters to stick around. So anyway, player association said, no, what you're talking about is a salary cap. Well, okay. I, you know, I, I got to say, I kind of lean towards the player side on this. And I'm you know, not making any kind of a political statement or anything like that because everything in 2020 is viewed through politics. And this is this is as well for some reason. If you go on Twitter, which you just don't go on Twitter. That's the only way to be mentally healthy in 2020 is to stay away from, from Twitter.com, that awful, awful website. So the players, as, as, as uh, some people have noticed, well, not only are the owners trying to shift the risk of loss, or at least you know some of the risk of loss, onto the players, the players are really taking the, the health risks. Now, we don't know exactly what those health risks are, but the players are the ones that are taking on the lion's share of those types of risks of getting back out on the field and playing. And so, it, it, you know, if, if Major League Baseball ga guaranteed they were going to give players 50% of the revenues in good years, then I'm, I'd be more, you know, sympathetic. Or if they had done that in past years, give the players 50% of the revenues in good years, then I'd be more sympathetic to their idea of letting them of make them split 50-50 in bad years, which this should be. So I don't know. I just don't, I don't uh, I don't see that the owners have a leg to stand on. But that's what you do when you negotiate. Okay, again, these aren't fixed positions. That's what you do when you negotiate. Sometimes you start at a position that you don't expect anyone to agree to, and, and that's again the problem with the the culture we have today, where you got to make these decisions split second. But again, that. that on whether you're on one side or the other. But that's a function of the owners trying to negotiate this through the media. So I don't have a whole lot of sympathy. I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for the owners in this one. So 
Anyway, owners are already coming out and saying, "Oh, payroll's going to be cut significantly next year. We're not going to, we're not going to sign players." So uh, what that indicates is that yeah, they're they're going to pass these losses on to the players one way or another. It's just uh, owners being owners, and I, you know I, I try never to tell somebody what to do with their money. It's not my money, but uh, don't ask me to have sympathy for your position and and be prepared. Be prepared, fans of Red Leg Nation Radio, fans of the Cincinnati Reds. This time next year, Bob Castellini is going to tell you we can't spend money. We got to cut payroll drastically because of what happened. Now, is this whole thing going to hurt the Reds worse than it hurts some, a lot of other teams? Yeah, probably. Probably. But you just wait. You just wait. We're gonna we're gonna hear that. The Reds are going to use this to justify. Going back in the hole. Maybe I'm being cynical from three decades of watching a mostly awful team that try, did not try to win at all until really the last couple of years and uh, for a few years in the mid uh, mid part of uh, the last, uh, I guess, 2010 2000 to 2013. I can just see it coming. I can just see it coming. And if I'm, I hope I'm wrong. I hope the Reds will say, oh, if other teams are you know, limiting their payroll, that's our uh, inefficiency in the market that we can attack. I'm not counting on it. So anyway, the, the proposal was forwarded, revenue sharing, and uh, it was a non-starter. And so where are we, I guess, at this point? Where are we? The players are want to play, most of them. Almost all of them want to play. Okay, they want to get paid. <laughs> they have short careers. They want those careers to... Uh, you know, they want to be able to maximize the amount of money they can make during those short careers. They like playing baseball, and they like playing baseball for the amount of money that they're paid to play baseball. But they got to figure out a way to do it safely. So, and I, I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know what that's going to mean. You can go check out uh, Sean Doolittle on Twitter. He had a, you know, his thoughts. He's a relief pitcher for the Nationals. He's also a graduate of the University of Virginia, All American at Virginia. And he has his thoughts on what that means for, you know, uh, the health protections for players, family, staff, stadium workers, etc. Things that, things that are going to be uh, needed. And, and and Bob Nightingale of USA Today had a had a piece this week as well that kind of went more into those safety concerns that players are, are talking about. And uh, some of those things are no more high fives during the game, no more spitting during the game. Hey, I think that was something we could live with, right? Players are being asked to avoid using public transportation. Um, players are asked to avoid signing autographs or taking pictures with fans who hang out outside team hotels. It's not going to impact me. I don't ask for autographs or hang out outside team hotels. I did ask uh, Eddie Milner for an autograph back in the mid-80s. Eddie Milner. So anyway, spitting, whatever, that's stuff, that's, you know, that's stuff that uh, is kind of easily, easily handled. All that other stuff. So we'll see. You know, there's, there's a lot to there's a lot to to unpack and a lot to decide and a lot of negotiation that's still going on. They do appear to she's still shooting for that first week of July, but we'll see what happens on that. Um, I would encourage you, as I said, to go to Red Leg Nation, read all uh, Doug Gray's coverage, and also you want to go listen to Trevor Bauer uh, his his YouTube channel is uh, something else and 
it's not necessarily safe for work, but that guy, he has opinions, if you haven't noticed. And he really, uh, he's really, you know, uh, he's Trevor Bauer, whatever. But my favorite was uh, that he said, if I'm going to have to trust my salary to Rob Manfred marketing the game to make more money for the game, talking about a 50-50 split, which would mean that we need baseball to be bigger for us to get more money, basically. Uh, he says, that I'm going to have to trust my salary to Rob Manfred, the commissioner marketing the game to make more money for the game. I'm out on that. And I can't blame him because Rob Manfred is the worst at marketing baseball. Okay, that's where we are. No different than we were really last week, except there are now some discussions. There are some negotiations. And hopefully, sometime soon, we'll have an agreement that will probably get blown up once, uh, you know, more data comes out on the... Although there's, you know, if you look at the data on this virus, there's a lot of really positive things that no one wants to talk about. Optimistic things. Things are getting a lot better in a lot of places. But then again, there's also some really scary things out there too and and trying to parse through all that and and every model's been wrong in some degree and so trying to figure out what's going to happen in july it's just it's a crazy thing to do we can try and and the scientists are trying but they've been wrong uh, because that's the nature of modeling i'm not suggesting that anyone's uh, incompetent it's just it's a tough thing to to do uh, gauge how this is going to affect things so you know by the time we get to, the, to july 4th if they're wanting to start then things could be completely different but at least there's some tiny steps towards the possibility of maybe having actual baseball on the field. All right, let's get to these two uh, interviews that we did. Uh, Bill Lack actually did them both with, uh, the first with Red's prospect, Tucker Barnhart. This is from uh, April of 2011. Tucker at that time was a catcher for Class A Dayton and uh, talked about what the life was like on the road to becoming a Cincinnati Red and uh, his thoughts. And it's really, I, th- I thought it was fun when I went back and listened to it to hear him talk about uh, the Reds and what he hoped to accomplish. Now that we know that he's uh, solidified his place as a big leaguer, he's won a gold glove, and he's a, you know, a kind of a valued member of the Cincinnati Reds organization. He's always been a good friend of the podcast. We love Tucker Barnhart here at Red Leg Nation Radio. The other, and that was again uh, April of 2011, the other interview we're going to run for you here is with Jesse Winker. It's from February of 2014. Jesse Winker, you know, at the time... Uh, one of the one of the top prospects in the red system, and uh, I think he just played in the All Stars Futures All Star Futures game, if I remember correctly, when we when Bill did this interview with him. So enjoy both of these. First Tucker Martin, then Jesse Winker. We'll be back next week with some more content. Uh, I look here and I've spoken to you a lot longer than I expected to because I like talking to you, even if you don't like listening to me. So go subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you next week. Tucker Barnhart of the Dayton Dragons. Tucker, welcome to Red Leg Nation, and thanks for joining us today. Bill, thank you very much for having me. Let's talk a little bit about yourself personally. You were born in Brownsburg, uh, just outside Indianapolis, correct? Yes, sir. Did you grow up a Reds fan? You know, a lot of people, a lot of people ask me that. I, uh, it's hard being from Indianapolis to uh, to, to follow a. To follow a uh, major league baseball team, I mean, being the fact that we don't have anything there, but the AAA uh, affiliate of the Pirates, the Indians. Um, I mean, you got the Cubs, you got the Cubs in the north, and then you got the uh, and the Reds, obviously down to the east. It, um, it, for me, growing up, it was more about following players, and so I really tried to uh, to watch players, not necessarily watch a a, a team, but uh, just to follow players and pattern my game after uh, after certain players. Well, I'm glad you said that because if you'd have said you grew up a Cubs fan, we might have had to rethink this spotlight player idea. Yeah. <laughs>
So, so who were your who were the players that you really liked watching coming as you were growing? up? See, I, I'm old. I'm much 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 older than you. In fact, I thought about this yes last night after we talked at the Dragons game, and you're two months older than my son. So, uh, <laughs> um, I remember when the AAA team for the Reds was in Indianapolis. So, you know, my guess is maybe your dad might have been a Reds fan. Um, yeah, he. Uh... He, my uncle, actually, my uncle is a huge Reds fan. He grew up a Reds fan and uh, and, and loved him ever since. Yeah, he probably remembers when the AAA team was in Indianapolis. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, so tell me about the players that you enjoyed watching and, and, and followed growing up. Um, uh, I'm a switch hitter, obviously, and I uh, and I basically, I basically started to switch hitting because of Chipper Jones. I uh, I followed Chipper Jones for forever and. Uh, I mean, I had a couple of posters in my uh, in my in my room of Chipper Jones. Just uh, I loved watching him hit, and I uh, I still do to this day. Um, let's see, from a catching aspect, I really like watching uh, uh, Pudge catch. I mean, arguably, other than uh, in my opinion, Johnny Bench, probably arguably the best catcher to to ever play the game. So uh, I mean, he's a good he's a good uh, guy to follow and to pattern your game after if you're a catcher. Well, you talk about switch hitters. You know, the, the Reds had a pretty good switch hitter a while back, too. Uh, hopefully at some point you'll get a chance to meet him. His name's Pete Rose. You might have heard of him. Yeah, he, he, I, he might have heard of that guy. <laughs> uh, he, he, he was pretty good. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, I want to talk to you a little bit more about bench later on in the interview. But, but uh, how old were you when you started playing baseball? Oh, Bill, I, uh, as soon as I could walk, I think I played. I, uh, I would say, I mean, anywhere from three or four years, probably three years old, I was, I was playing baseball. It's, it's funny, the act, there's a picture of me when, uh, I mean, I couldn't have been more than a year old. I'm laying in a, in a crib and I got a baseball glove on my hand. So, I mean, I've been in my blood and this, uh, I've been, I've been around it since I can remember. Um, did you play other sports growing up? I did. I played. Uh, I played a little bit of basketball. I played a little bit of football. I mean, uh, but uh, I stopped. I stopped playing basketball when everybody started uh, growing it up, and I uh, really didn't uh, grow up that much. So I don't forget to ask you later. Let's talk a little bit about your size right now. You're not a real big guy. Um, do, do you see that as a as a as a, a hindrance to you, or are there advantages to being shorter than than some of the other guys? You know, the other catchers. I. Uh, I mean, I've I've always been smaller guy. I mean, I've always played up in, up age groups. Up when I mean when I was uh, 11, I was playing against 13 and 14 year old guys, and I've always been a smaller guy. So I've I've gotten used to it. I mean, uh, and for as a, as a catcher, I mean, in my opinion, I think obviously it's kind of it might be a little bit of a biased opinion, but I think I think it can only help me. I mean, I think the catching position starting to get back to a to a more of a more of a defensive oriented oriented position, not to. Not that Joe Mauer, not that the Joe Mowers and the AJ Krasinski's of the game now are, are just tearing it up, but I mean, I feel like like the guys like Carlos Ruiz, the guys like uh, Ryan Hannigan, the guys like um, Russell Martin, the smaller type guys, more defensive oriented guys. I think I think the teams are starting to rely on those guys more, and I think that uh, it's only gonna. I think it only, like I said, it only helps me. It takes the wear and tear off my knees from not being six two, six three, six four. And having to squat and stand up every single time and put all that wear and tear on my knees, I think I have a lot, a lot, uh, a smaller range, like a range where I got to go and stand up and sit down and squat and do all kinds of things. So I think it, I think it helps me. 
Um, I not necessarily does it, and I don't think in any any way of the game does it does it hurt me. You won the, the Mr. Indiana Baseball Award in 2009. Tell us a little bit about winning that award and what it meant to you. Oh, it was, it's, it's a big honor. I mean, um, growing up, and you, you hear about Scott Rowland. I mean, uh, I mean, Scott Rowland won the award. Guys like Adam Lynn. I mean, they're both in the big league in the big leagues now. Obviously, Scott Rowland's been there forever, and Adam Lynn is going to be there for a long time. So, I mean, it. It's it's really it really means a lot. Guys like um, AJ Zapp, I mean, have won the award. AJ didn't quite make the big leagues with the Reds, but he was, or it, um, I mean, but he was in Louisville at the time. It's just it's a it's a it was a big award for me. I mean, it, it means a lot, and uh, I really I really uh, I really just took took it as a uh, as a very uh, humbling experience. Did did you have a chance to talk to Scott Rowland in spring training about the award at all? Not about the award. I did. Uh, it was a pretty cool. It was one of the cooler things that's ever happened to me. I was. Uh, I was over. I caught bullpen. I, I ended up playing and playing in a few uh, big league games and going to uh, a good amount of big league games and everything. And I, uh, one day they called me over to catch bullpens and uh, I stretched with the big league team and uh, we were done throwing and I was getting ready to walk over to the bullpen and uh, Scott Rowland came over and uh, introduced himself to me. I mean, and, it, and that just to me was a. Uh, it was a really cool thing just growing up, growing up watching Scott Rowland play and uh, playing in actually the same summer organization that Scott, that Scott uh, played on the first actual team to ever play in that sort of summer organization. It's just a really, really cool experience for me and something I'll never forget. Before the draft, you had signed to play at, at Georgia Tech. Tell us about the process you went through when you were drafted by the Reds and deciding what direction you wanted to take with your career and like that. Um, it was a, it's a very, the draft is a very hectic uh Hectic experience, and so is so is choosing a school that, that you want. Um, that if the draft doesn't work out, that you want to end up at. It's a very very hectic experience, um, but it's something I'll ne- like I said I'll never forget. I mean, it was a uh, it's a lot. Of, I could have been in a lot uh, worse situation to choose from, whether to go to play uh, baseball at Georgia Tech or to sign with whomever. And in this case, it was the Reds. I uh, I felt like it was the uh, it was the right thing to do. Um, I got drafted in the tenth round on the uh, third day of the draft, and I uh, I was actually sitting in a buddy's basement playing some cards, and uh, I got a phone call from my agent telling me that the Reds were going to draft me, and it was just a, a another very humbling experience, and just finally realizing that something I worked for I worked for all my life, and every time I step on a baseball field, it's actually starting to take shape and come to form and uh, come true. So it's uh, it was like I said a very humbling experience, and. Uh, Another thing that, I, that I'll never forget. How old were you? I mean, how old were you? What grade were you in when you when you realized you had a chance to play pro ball? Um, I I would say my junior my junior year of high school it really started to take it really started come to me that I that I had a chance. I uh, I'd always played on the, the Indiana Bulls, which is one of the better the better uh, travel organizations in Indiana, and we'd go all over the country and play different guys from different parts of the country and even the world. And, I mean, just, just getting to see how I how I compete against those guys and uh, how I fare against those guys just really kind of put it in perspective from, uh, for me. Now, I mean, come and going, I mean, you never know what – I mean, baseball is a crazy sport, and you never know what's going to happen. So, really, it, um, it, I started to come to me that I mean, I, made it, I, I had a chance when I was a junior, but it really – Really didn't tell me that I was going to have an opportunity to play pro baseball until my senior year. 
just because there's so many crazy things in baseball that could happen, and I didn't want to take anything for granted. When you when you did sign with the Reds, um, we covered that a little bit, and uh, your contract had to go to the commissioner's office. Why was that? Um, just, I I, uh, I ended up getting paid over uh, over slot. Oh, okay. The position that I was dra- and I was drafted, and every and every uh, over slot guy that is or any guy that is drafted that's paid over slot, they have to go to the commissioner's office, and the commissioner's office has to okay that amount that uh, that um, that the guy is being assigned for. All right. After many, many years of this organization being catching poor, it's it's got quality catching galore right now. Uh, we got two number one picks and a number four pick that are kind of higher in the organization than you are right now. Do you think about this kind of thing, or do you just kind of co- have to concentrate on your own development and then let things kind of fall as they may? At, um, my my first year, I really kind of I, I kind of I paid attention to it. And I, I mean, I've learned as I've grown up in the last few years playing pro baseball from that first year, just to not pay attention to it. I mean, you can't, in my opinion, you can't, you can't pay attention to anybody else. I mean, you've got to go out and on a daily basis and and, and compete and uh, and control what you can control. Um, I mean, you have to you have to play well in order to move up in this organization and any organization for that matter. And uh, you, I've got to. I've got to go out on a daily basis and, and, and perform and, can, like I said, control what I can control, and then and, and everything will just happen like it's like it's supposed to happen. Uh, tell us what you think the strongest part of your game is right now, and, and what you need to work on to, to continue to move up. Uh, for me, I've always I've always pride myself on how I catch. Um, I've I've always tried to go the extra mile to to, to tweak anything I can defensively to fix it to get to make it better. To do and to do whatever I can to get better defensively as a catcher. I think the strongest aspect of my catching right now is uh, is the way is the way I can handle pitch test. I mean, they, they're going to have the confidence in me that I'm going to block balls, that I'm going to that I'm if they want to throw that three-two slider in the dirt in the dirt with the guy on third base that uh, that could that to, to win the game that it's going to get blocked and they, and and they can throw that um, to to work on. I think I. Um, I just need to just to make to, just to keep swinging, just keep taking swings, and keep getting more consistent on both sides of the plate. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit a little bit further along left-handed, just because I've had so many more at bats left-handed than right-handed. But it, it's coming, I am, um, and like I said, I just need to just keep getting more more and more consistent. Uh, I, I've already heard, and I and I saw you la- and I saw you play for the first time last night. We got a chance to meet before the game last night. You've got a pretty phenomenal arm. Uh, I think you threw out two guys last night and two guys the night before, I believe. Um, so I think you're four for four on the year throwing out uh, base runners. Is there something, do you specifically work on your arm, or is, is this something that God kind of blessed you with? Um, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I, uh, I try and I try and take care of it as much as possible. In the offseason, I, I, I try not to do very much throwing just because of how many, I mean, Come come February 18th, and from in my case, because I, I mean I get down to spring training early, I, I throw just about every day, and I mean I I try to take as much time off of my arm as I can, and uh, and that helps me just just to keep it strong throughout it, throughout the season. Um, but on the other side of it, I think I just was blessed with a pretty good arm. I uh, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of my um, the way I use my arm. I mean I, I I use a lot of my legs. I uh, 
I think that takes a lot of wear and tear off my arm, off my shoulder, off my elbow. And I think that uh, being a littler guy, I can't just rely on just my arm. I have to use my whole body, and I think I, I, think I do a pretty good job of that. Do you have any concerns, going back to your, your size again, and I don't want to keep dwelling on this because I'm sure you get tired of answering these kind of questions, but how do you answer the questions about you, your durability in a 140-game schedule? You know, I mean, they're not expecting you to catch 140 games, but I'm assuming you've never played a schedule that long before. No, I haven't, but I feel like the, the time and the effort that I put in in the weight room in, in everything that I uh, in the off season to, to prepare myself for spring training and for the season, I think I've done enough, and I and I feel great coming into uh, coming into this campaign, and I'm uh, ready to keep it rolling. And uh, I don't think I don't think there should, in my opinion, there shouldn't be any questions about my durability because I feel like I can go out on a daily basis, be consistent, and uh, and and just keep and just keep giving you the same thing every single day. The consistency from both sides of the plate, right-handed and left-handed, and definitely by the plate. We talked a few weeks ago with Devin, with Devin Masaraco, and he talked about he, he works a lot on his legs and his hips, I think he told us, in the off-season in the weight room. Do you stress those also? Yeah, it's, it's huge. I mean, he hit it right on the head. I mean, there's not... Anything, there's not probably not one leg workout that you can come up with that I didn't do this offseason or that I haven't done. Um, I mean, it's it's huge. You can't, you, you can't get your legs strong enough to be for for the catching position, and and definitely and definitely your hips. I mean, it, it really. Um, Sean Marone, our strength minor strength coordinator, really stressed to me last spring training about about hips and hip strength and everything, and it, it's really hit home with me, and it's really it's it's really helped me. Um, become become a better catcher. I feel like I feel like I've got a better a better uh, stance line of play and from strengthening my hips and strengthening my legs. And I owe a lot of a lot of my success to, to Sean and to his staff. Let's talk about your first year in the Reds organization. You you got a little bit of taste of the old dreaded Gulf Coast League. Um, playing that noon heat is a lot of fun down there, isn't it? <laughs> it's rough. It really is. It, uh, it, it, it's tough playing. It's tough playing in August in Florida in the uh, in the heat in a new in front of no people and everything. But it just it finally. I mean, it, it just it gets it gets you working a little bit harder just because you don't want to repeat that. You don't want to. You don't want to go back. And a lot of and a lot of that um, seeing that the kind of thing and seeing and seeing the ballpark and rookie ball and uh, and everything. And I haven't seen any in low A or whatnot, but, but I got was fortunate enough to play in a few big league games this spring training, like I said, and it and it just it, it just gives you that little extra drive just to show you that I mean it, it gets better as you go up and you just and you want to get there. You had a good season your second year in Billings. Um, your 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 numbers were your offensive numbers were good. Your your Throwing, you know, you threw out basically you threw out fifty-one percent of the guys running against you. Um, you had eight pass balls in thirty-five games. Is that is that a high number? I mean, are you happy with that number, or do you want to? I mean, you always want to drop it, but I mean, is that a reasonable number for that many games? For me, for me, no. I uh, I just I'm, I'm stubborn when it comes to that stuff. Just because, I, like you said, you always want to drop. But but I, for me, uh, dropping that is is a uh, is a reasonable goal for me, and uh, I've, like I said earlier, I've always pride myself on the way I catch and defend, and the way I defend and block balls and stuff. And, and eight for me was was too many, and uh, and I've come up with a couple goals this spring training or this season that 
that I want to reach, and I feel like a good goal for me. Were you, were you happy with your season in Billings? I was. I was happy. I mean, uh, by no means was I satisfied. I was happy with it and, and, and glad with the way I played, but, uh, but I, I feel like I can get better. And there were some, there were some things last year that I, uh, that I've, uh, that I've fixed and worked and, and really worked on this, uh, this off season and this spring training. And I feel like, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna, I'm gonna have another good year. Tell us a little bit about your summer in Billings. I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures and talked to a lot of guys. It seems like a nice place to spend the summer, kind of getting used to playing professional baseball. It's definitely, it definitely is. Uh, there's a, in that league, in the Pioneer League, there's a few, there's a few places that uh, that you not necessarily dread going, but you see on the schedule and you're like, man, we got to go back there. But uh, we were, we were uh, pretty. We were pretty uh, spoiled in Billings, that's for sure. It was a nice place, definitely, definitely a very nice place for rookie ball, and uh, and the people out there in, in in the city and at the stadium and, and everything, they were they were wonderful. And that, and now you're a Dayton Dragon, and we're a couple of games into the season, and, and tell us about your initial impressions of the the Dragons, the whole the atmosphere at Fifth Third Field, the organization after a couple of games. Yeah, I mean the atmosphere. The atmosphere is unbelievable. Uh, this is the first time, the first time I've played in in front of eight to ten thousand people, and it's it's been a blast. Uh, it really has. The uh, the people in the in the Dragons organization that, that work at the stadium, uh, from the ground crew to the front office people, I mean they're 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 awesome. I mean I haven't really been I haven't really gotten to talk to them very much, but from the times that I have, I mean they've been nothing but great, and they've. Uh, they worked with everybody, and uh, and they're putting on a great show here. Yeah, when when the Reds had their their high A team in Sarasota, and you know they draw three hundred people a game, I, I I often ask players, you know, how difficult is it to make the transition going from Dayton, where you're playing in front of eight thousand people, to going to high A, where you're playing in front of three hundred people or you know a thousand people on a good night? It has to be kind yeah. of difficult for the players. But anyway. Oh, I- Tell us a little bit about your. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, no, you're fine. Uh, tell us a little bit about your manager. This is your second year with uh, the line of the Shields. What What does he expect from you, from from a player? Uh, he just he, he expects you to play hard. He tells us. He told us this in spring training, and he told us this when we got today. And he said, he said that I'm going to be one of the easiest guys we played for. But I only ask one thing. I said I, I asked that you're that you're on time, and I asked that you play hard, and you give me everything you've got. And uh, that's about it, really. And if you and if you keep, and if you work hard and if you play the game the right way and respect the game, he's he's, he's an unbelievable coach, he's an unbelievable manager. Some of the, some of the information that you can get from him and, and, and the guy and, and Tony Fossett and Alex Fly is is, is, um, is priceless. The situations that they've been in and seen. I mean, there's not a baseball situation that one of those that one of those three guys hasn't been uh, hasn't been a part of. And uh, it's, it's it's an awesome an awesome experience to be around those guys. You guys have, have kind of taken it on the chin the first couple games. I read in the paper today that he held a meeting already. Can can you talk about that a little bit, or is that just a, is that a clubhouse thing that you really don't want to talk about? Uh, it, it was a, I mean it was a very it was a very vague meeting. I mean one of those meetings that everybody that everybody has. I mean just just to, just to relax. I mean we're we're a young team. And just uh, and just keep fighting, basically is what it is. What he said in a nutshell. I mean, it was very quick. I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a uh, put his foot down meeting. It was just it was just to relax and just keep playing and, and not panic. It wasn't a lack of effort meeting. It was a maybe calm you down a little bit meeting. Yeah, basically. basically. 
Does, does he have a style in terms of the way he manages? Um, I would. He, he, we really, we really run. We really run. We ran in Billings. We ran at, or we ran so far here in Dayton when we've had guys on base, and it's a very, it's a very up, upbeat, up, um, get off the field, get off the field kind of thing. And and, and he's very, he's a very exciting manager. He put, he will, uh, he's gonna, he's gonna keep you out of your head if you're a fan just because of all the intensity. Do you set personal goals for the season? I do. I, I always I always set I always set some goals, just some short term goals for myself, and for on a monthly basis or whatnot, to uh, to the long term goals for the season and everything. And uh, I feel like it's a great thing to do, and uh, it gets, gives you just a little bit another challenge, just to challenge you even more to get to those goals. Do you want to share those, or do you want to keep those to yourself? I'll keep them. I'll keep myself if you don't mind. No, that's fine. Absolutely, I understand. And you're in your you're in a little bit more in the minors. Tell us about the best thing you found about life playing in minor league baseball. Uh, just some of the stories. I mean, just some of the stories that you have that you have to take home to tell your parents, tell tell your friends and your family and everything. It's just stories that stories that you're never going to forget, and that uh, that nobody really else in in the world have have that opportunity to tell those stories. What's the worst thing about playing in the minor leagues? Um. No, I mean it, it's hard. It's hard for me to come up with a thing that is the worst thing about playing in minor league, just because I love the game of baseball so much that I mean, there's nothing really, I mean, better that I could be doing right now. I mean, but I would, I would some of the some of the bus trips they are fun. I mean, we had in Billings last year. We had a 16-hour bus ride from Billings to, to or from Orem, Utah to Billings, Montana. I mean, that's not that's definitely that's not fun. But, uh, but that, I mean, if the worst thing, the worst thing about it is a long bus ride, then uh, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. What's been the biggest surprise to you about playing professional baseball? Oh, the biggest surprise. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, really, I mean, I haven't really been surprised. I mean, I was, I was thankful enough to be around guys in high school and be around guys that I played with in the uh, in the summer that. Uh, that had been around guys that played in professional baseball and actually played for a guy. I played for a guy that was the bench coach with the Cardinals um, when they won the World Series. And it's it just, it, I, I got a lot of a lot of priceless information to to, to bring with me to professional baseball. So I really haven't been caught off guard or surprised with anything. Okay, let's get back to something that came up before. Did you get the chance to meet Johnny Bench while you were in Arizona? I did. He uh, he took my hand and uh, walked me catch a little bit. It was pretty cool. Did he give you any pointers? And no, he he really didn't. He uh, he just he, he came over and just asked to see my glove and put put my glove on his hand and uh, and and gave it back to me. And then that and that was it. That was very very quick, but uh, but it not nonetheless was pretty cool to to have him uh, to have him around. Yeah, that'd uh, be pretty amazing to to get a chance to talk to somebody who was a. You know, pretty much renowned as being the best that ever played the game at their position. Absolutely. Um, how confident are you that you'll make the big leagues? Uh, I feel like you have to have that. You have to carry a quiet, uh, quiet arrogance in this game, or not, or you'll be just you'll be you'll be done very quickly. Um, I mean, everybody's going to tell you that that they're, that they're very confident that they're going to make the big leagues, and I mean, I, I I truly believe it. I feel like. 
I feel like that I, if I continue to catch the way that I can catch and that and just continue to develop my bat, I think that uh, that there's no doubt in my mind that I'll be able to play in the big league. Do you have a plan? I mean, do you plan to play? And, and I ask almost all my new my new guys that I talk to. I ask them this. Do you have a plan to, you know, do you plan to play as long as you can? Do you look at it year to year? Do you have a timeline? Like if I don't get to level so-and-so by the time I'm so-and-so old, you know, maybe it'll be time for me to think about do, going on with something else or, you know. No. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to play as long as it's fun to me. I've always, I, my, my mom and my dad and people that I've been around, they've always told me, I mean, play as long as it's fun. And, and and the day the day that it's not fun anymore is the day that it's time to hang it up. And uh, I don't see that. I don't see it not being fun for a long time. Well, it sounds like a great attitude. And, Tucker, that, that, that's all we've got for today. And I wanted to thank you for your time. And I know you're getting ready for a ball game tonight. And we want to, again, welcome you to being one of our spotlight guys here on Red Leg Nation. I hope that we can talk again soon. And uh, we want to wish Absolutely, you... Absolutely, Wilson. And we thank, want to you very, thank you very much. <laughs> and we want to wish you every success this year in Dayton, hopefully beyond, and, and we'll talk again soon, all right? Bill, thank you very much for having me, and uh, I appreciate everything. Thank you, guys. All righty, then. Today we're looking to the future, and we're really excited to be joined by one of the Reds' top prospects, Jesse Winker. Jesse, thanks a lot for being with us today. Hey, no problem. <laughs> glad, I can, uh, glad I can meet you guys. Jesse, doing some reading about you, I read, I've read that you, you have been born in like three different places. One place I read you were born in Buffalo, another place I read you were born <laughs> in Windermere, and the other place I read you were born in Orlando, Florida. So, I mean, was your was your mom really like getting around as she was having you, or we got some bad media, or what's the deal here? All right, so I was born in Niagara Falls, New York. Um, you know, that's upstate New York. Right. And I lived there until I was seven, and then I moved down to Orlando. So, um, you know, I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan and a big Orlando Magic fan. That you know, polar opposites, but um, you know, those are my those are my squads. And so, growing up. Actually, you know, I guess you could say I grew up in Orlando, Florida. So, you know, as a kid with Universal and Disney around, you know, I wasn't too bad at all. Where did the Windermere come from? Windermere is just a city in Orlando. Um, oh, okay. It's just, uh, like, you know, sometimes I say Orlando, sometimes I just say Windermere. I guess, you know, if you're getting pretty technical, I'll just say Windermere. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's in East Orlando, I think. Okay. Yeah, baseball, refer right? baseball reference has you born in Windermere, Florida. Right, yeah. No, well, I wasn't born in Windermere. Okay. I was born in Niagara Falls. So, so what brought your parents to, to Florida other than getting away from the upper up, upstate New York weather in the, in the winter? You know, I think it's it's more of just that the opportunity um, in Orlando, Florida. You know, where, where I was from, um, you know, nice area, but, um, you know, there, there just wasn't much, you know, sports-wise and, <clears throat> Um, I, I think my parents saw it as an opportunity to get out, and um, you know they really gave up their their home for for me and my brother. So you know it was a big move for them, but just the opportunity Florida had to provide, um, you know, was really the biggest deal for my parents. And um, so they they got us all up and we moved down here. How big is your family? I know you had a brother that, that played minor league baseball. Um, more brothers and sisters. I just have two older brothers, so I'm I'm the baby of the family. Oh, you're the baby. Mm-hmm. 
So, so I've, I've read that either your parents or your dad run a hitting warehouse. Is, is that like a, a batting cage place or a baseball academy? What exactly is a hitting warehouse? My my dad my dad gives lessons to some to some local kids that um, okay. you know just want to want to get some extra swings in and um, you know put in some work. So we have this this big warehouse and there's there's like five batting cages in there and you know there's a bunch of like different kind of machines. There's like a curveball machine and then there's an iron mic and then my dad will throw and it's just you know it's just a great place for you know local kids. I think you know he's kind of expanding it to a little bit younger now. I think. You know, some kids are 10 or 11 all throughout high school. You know, it's just a great platform to go in and, um, you know, get some extra work in. I read that the Dante Bichette had a hand in starting this. Yeah, it's actually, um, it's his it's his place, and um, my dad just kind of runs it now. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah, the Bichettes, are, they're a great family, and, um, you know, what a, what, a, what a blessing to have them in our lives because they're just great people. And, um, you know, all of them, they're just an awesome family. Does he talk to you about the Reds at all? Um, actually, yeah. Last offseason, I got to um, inter- interact with him a lot, just talking minor leagues and, you know, just, just getting to talk hitting with Mr. Bichette. You know, that was awesome. You know, just learning how he went about um, his career and the way he handled his business. You know, it, it's just, you know, that's just the cool thing about baseball is just getting to talk to people past and present, learning how they, you know, did their, you know, routines and stuff. It was awesome. It's funny, you said you moved to Orlando, the Orlando area when you were about seven, and that was about when he played, he, you would have been about, that been about the year 2000, that's the year he played for the Reds. Yeah, that, that's, it's actually, it's actually very funny, because my, my senior year of high school, um, he would go out, uh, like, before my games, he would throw BP to me, like, um, like we had, like, BP for scouts, so, you know, him, him being there, and, you know, I got to go through my little draft process, you know, him throwing me BP and, you know, just kind of helping me out through that. That was pretty cool. So how old were you when you started playing ball? I, I was three. I, I was playing baseball ever since, you know, I could probably breathe. I came out of the womb playing the bat ever since. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I've been playing it forever. Have you, were you always an outfielder? Uh, I, yeah, I actually was always an outfielder. When I was younger, I used to pitch, too. So, um... You know, my, my parents let me get up on the mountain throw. But, you know, there wasn't much pitching. It was more just throwing as hard as I could. <laughs> did, you, did you play any other sports growing up? I played football for a year. I played hockey um, in, obviously, upstate New York. And then when I moved down to Florida, I tried playing hockey for a couple of years, too. But it, it's just not the same down there. Yeah. Um, so how old were you when you just started focusing entirely on baseball? Um, I was probably entirely on baseball. Well, I stopped playing hockey around the age of 13, and then that's the year I played football, 13 and 14, um, the year I played football. So after that, I was like, you know what? After my season of football, I was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was just too much for me. You know, some people loved it. You know, I loved the game, but practice was just too much. <laughs> a, a lot of kids say they want to play pro ball, but how old were you when you realized that you really had the chance to play pro ball? Uh, you know, it was... It was a goal my whole life, you know, not just to not just to play professionally, but you know, to win World Series rings and you know, to one day hopefully be in the Hall of Fame. So ever since I was a little kid, that was my goal. But I really realized, you know, I could chase it like my freshman sophomore year of high school. I like, you know, I was like, wow, this can this can really happen for me in the next couple of years. And that's when you kind of, you know, that's when I I think kids start thinking about what they want to be. You know, that's when they kind of start figuring out, hey. 
you know, I'll have, I have a passion for this, but I had the passion my whole life, but I really realized, like, hey, this is, this is going to take off for me, like, right around the age of, like, yeah, freshman, sophomore, so, like, 15, 15. You mentioned the, 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 the Orlando Magic, and you mentioned the Buffalo Bills. Um, who were your baseball teams that you rooted for growing up, and, and what players did you did you follow closely? You know, it's funny because I, n- I never really had one true team. Um, I always just watched players, and I would try to, you know, copy what they do. Like, when I was a little kid, I'd, I'd go by their jersey. But um, I was a big, big Derek Jeter fan growing up, like, huge Jeter fan. And then um, – as I got older, I just started watching, like, left-handed power hitters. And, you know, I, I and just left-handed hitters in general. I tried to, like, you know, see what they were doing and copy what they were doing. So, you know, the Reds had them two of the best in the league with Bruce and Bono. I'd always watch them. And, um, you know, I'd watch guys like Josh Hamilton and Robinson Cano. He's another really good one. So I just kind of watched their swings and watch, you know, and try to learn from them as much as I could. You, I, I read that you played baseball at Olympia High School in Orlando, and, and if one of your teammates from high school was also a number one pick, right? Right. Yeah, he was. Um, he was also a first rounder to the to the Padres. Right. And, and uh, is what's his name? Walker. Weichel. Weichel. Okay, I didn't know how to pronounce his last name. I didn't want to. I didn't want to blow it up. You know. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing to have two number one picks out of the same high school. Is is your school a, a Florida powerhouse? Um. We definitely were when I was there. Um, to be honest with you, all these schools in this area, there's a lot of high schools in my little area. They're all kind of a powerhouse. There's a lot of talent here, and there's always been, you know, a, a big-time baseball crop in, our, in Central Florida. So, um, you know, that was kind of cool getting to play against, you know, other really good teams growing up. And there, there's been a lot of draft picks, you know, from here in the past five to ten years. So it was pretty cool to be a part of that. I looked it up and I saw that you faced him twice last year. Do you remember how you did? Yeah, uh, I think I actually, you know, I have a really good memory of how I do against a lot of pitchers. But yeah, I think my final numbers were, I think I was two for five with a walk, and I, I think either two or three RBIs. Is that was that it? You were two for four with a walk. You hit into a double play once and struck out once. Yep, you're right. The double play was invading the strikeout was that there player. Yeah, but you know, if I can if I can go two for four off everybody, I'll take that. Absolutely right. Now your your brother was playing in the Midwest League last year also. So did you get a chance to see him during the season? Oh, he yeah, he started the year off on the DL, and he actually got called up. You know, he got called back up to the Midwest League because the year before there was an All Star there. And we just missed him. Like I think we missed him by a week or two. Oh, okay. And yeah, I never, I never got to play against him. But he came to my All Star. You know, he came to the All Star game Dayton, so that was fun. Yeah, and and that, that may, yeah, we'll talk about Dayton in a little while. Um, you had accepted an offer to play at University of Florida before the before the Reds drafted you. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, the Florida is the school I, I committed to. Yeah. Tell us about draft day and the draft day experience for you. Oh, you know, <laughs> well that ties into. It, it being my dream my whole life to go play professionally, um, just, you know, you're thinking, I, I'm, I was sitting at my dinner table, you know, my whole family was in town, and, you know, you're thinking, like, you know, what team, what team is it going to be, you know, what spot, you know, this and that, and the, what I knew for sure is I just wanted to go play, and um, so I was like, God, I just came in to go play, and um, when the Reds took me, you know, I, you know, I just hit the floor, and, you know, I kind of forgot what happened, you know, everyone was just, <laughs> just jumping around in excitement. I was just, you know, over. I, I was very emotional. I was like, oh my god, you know, hugging everybody and 
you know, just the perfect fit. And I was just so honored that uh, that the Reds took me. And um, it, it was just, you know, it was just a dream come true. What what other teams had, had looked at you or had, had talked to you? Um, you know, we were we were in touch with a lot of different teams. Um, I kind of forget to be honest with you. Yeah, too many of them, um, huh? <laughs> not to say, I mean, you know, no, I know. in home you have in home business with every team. You know, a lot of teams uh, came to, came to my games and came to my batting practices I had before the game and stuff. So you know, you were kind of just in touch with a lot of different teams, but. Um, did you, I was so, you know, what a perfect fit with the Reds, you know, it was just, it was just awesome that it happened. Did you, did be, you, uh, did, were you pretty sure the Reds were going to be the team that took you, or, or was it still up in the air on the day of the draft? The day of the draft, you know, I really didn't have any idea who was going to, who was going to take me. Um, and then once, you know, pick 49 came around, I got the phone call and I was just sitting there waiting. And, you know, once you hear your name called, you know, it's just, it's just the best feeling ever. So was there, was there, uh, once you were picked, and you're picked as a first rounder, and there aren't many first round picks that, that don't sign, you know. But was there some discussion about whether you'd go to Florida, or was it a foregone conclusion that you were going to play ball, ball right now? I I I wanted I wanted to start my career absolutely 100. percent There was you know this is the story like I got drafted out on Monday, I graduated like I walked in graduation on Tuesday, I signed that week, and I flew out Friday. Wow. I was ready to go play, and I wanted to. Um, you know, I want to get my career started and um, go through my minor league life and, you know, start, start it up. Okay, I asked this question of all you young guys, and especially the young guys that got drafted pretty high, because I asked Devin Mazzarocco the same question I'm going to ask you. What did you buy when you signed? <laughs> um, I, you know, I never, I, my senior year of high school, that's when I actually got my license and, um, you know, I was sharing my oldest brother's car with him because he was playing, so I had to drive his little Mazda. But I got myself a new car, a 2013 Camaro, and um, oh. well, that's, my, that's my big. I plan on having it, you know, for the rest of my life. It's just something, you know, that, you know, that with the hard work I, I got. And, um, you know, it's pretty cool. pretty nice, too, kind of fast. See, I, th- <laughs> I think you broke a rule, though, because I thought the rule was you had to buy a black truck. <laughs> black truck, yeah. <laughs> I, bought, I mean, my Camaro is black for the record. So. Okay, so you got it. At least you got part of it right, you know. Right, I'm there. I'm there. Just you know, not much of a truck guy. My dad had a truck my whole life, you know. So I was like, you know, I want something different. So. Well, and you're a young guy, and a Camaro is a cool car for a young guy, you know. I, absolutely. You know, one day, you know, I hope I hope to keep it around so I can, you know, let my kids have it one day, and you know, just explain to them that you know, hard work. That's what you know helped me get this. So. Okay, hey, Jesse, bear with me a second here on this question because it's going to take me a minute to get to it, okay? Yeah, you're fine. I- I've talked to a lot of minor league guys over the years, and I've had some tell me that guys that are draft high like you were, you- you've already got it you- you've got it made because of the money you got and you don't have to struggle financially while you're in the minors and because higher picks don't have – they get many more chances to fail. Some of these guys seem to feel like the, the high picks don't have the per- pressure to perform that they do. But, but I see it – a different way. I see because they're high picks, they don't have to worry about being cut, but they have to they have to make their bones with everybody else in the organization. And the constant pressure of having to perform with all the eyes on you is a different kind of pressure. Do you feel any kind of pressure with being such a highly drafted guy? Um, I don't feel any kind of pressure at all. Um, I I'm, I'm blessed to have. A great coaching staff, you know, everyone in the Reds organization is awesome, you know, I'm blessed with great teammates, and, um, 
Yeah, I, I don't feel any pressure at all. I just, you know, I get to go out and I get to live my dream. I get to play baseball every day. And, you know, I get to worry. The only thing I worry about is getting better that day. So, yeah, no pressure at all. And, you know, it's just it's just fun to, to learn from the coaching staff and to learn, you know, from the older guys that, you know, might be in double-A ahead of me. And, you know, just to, just to hear just to hear and you know, take things from everybody, that's all it's about. You know, I, that, at the end of the day, I just worry about um, – just myself getting better and, you know, try to get my all around being better. Great attitude. Great attitude. So, so you fly out and, and you get to start your, your your pro career in Billings, Montana. Right. Had you done much, uh, had you been done much hitting with wood bats prior to the Pioneer League? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the whole travel ball circuit now, um, the basically with that, I mean, you swing metal in high school, but the whole travel ball is all wood now. So that was, you know, I, mean, I, I I was swimming wood probably since I was 13. You know, that was my, my dad's idea, just to kind of learn how to hit with that. Because it is, it is a little different. You know, you have to learn how to hit with wood. So I started at a young age, so it was like, you know, that's, that's what I saw my whole life, so... Well, looking at your numbers, it sure doesn't look like you had a whole lot of trouble. You hit 338, <laughs> and, you, and your on-base percentage was 443, and your slugging was 500. And you hit five home runs out there. Tell us about playing in Billings, and tell us about the Pioneer League and your first year in pro ball. What's what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about the uh, playing for the Billings Mustangs? The Billings Mustangs. Well, first thing that popped in was uh, you know great fan support and um, such a fun place too. Uh, very nice ballpark. I think I'm pretty sure it's Beaver Park. And um, you know what a great field, and then just the cool bus rides that you got to take because you know that's job country out there. And um, very, you know, kind of long, but we went to Yellowstone, so I remember that. And, you know, great competition. And it came down to what I really remember is the season coming down to the last game, even though we lost, but kind of getting that playoff atmosphere and getting involved in that. So that's what I remember. It was just a great, great first year to get started up with. Do you have a host family in Billings? I did. Well, I live in the host dad. His name is Mike Mayotte. And um, he had me and he had a couple other people living in his house. So it was just a very nice setup. And I'm very, very thankful to um very took me in. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that's a nice a really nice I haven't been to Billings. I, I hope to get there at some sometime, but I've heard that host family program's a very nice program that they put together out there. Yeah, very, very cool. So uh very fun. So last year you get sent to Dayton, which I I had season tickets for you know, partial season tickets for Dayton for years. And it has to be one of the best places to play in the minor leagues between the crowds and the stadium and, and the whole organization is just they do everything right up there. Tell us about the experience Absolutely. of playing in Dayton. Oh, you said it. You said it right. But just the first thing you think of is you know playing in front of ten thousand people every night. You know, no matter what, too. Like when it was freezing, they were there. When it was raining, they were there. If it was an early game, they were there. And they just they just support us the whole year. And um, you know that's just you know playing in front of that. That's awesome. And then the, the what a what a cool field and uh, just being a part of that. You know, just to get to say you got to play there was, was an honor. And then um, on top of that, just the All-Star event was really cool, too, and being a part of that. And um, it was just a very fun year. And I had a host family there, too, the Collins, and um, they were great people. So I, I lived over in Miamisburg, Ohio. It was just, you know, a little small little town. So, you know, just got to meet people over there, and it was just a very fun year. Uh, how uh, – how- 
does it feel the first time you come out in Dayton and you're working the wall there doing autographs and you walk and for people that haven't been to the game in Dayton, the, the, the guys on the team come out of the, out of the dugout and they work the wall, give doing autographs from the edge of the dugout all the way out to the bullpen. And it's probably what 40, 50 feet, maybe. Yeah, it's pretty far. It gets loaded in there with people. Yeah. How does that feel the first time you do that? Oh, that's the coolest thing ever. You know, when you get to sign stuff or, you know, the little kids that have your baseball card or have a ball for you, know, that's just, you know, that's just awesome. And then just to have that support of the people, you know, that um, they just follow you that closely to, you know, have some stuff for you to sign. It's just, it's just cool. You know, <laughs> it's just an honor, really. You had another really, really good year. You, you know, you got almost 500 plate appearances in. You hit 281 with a 379 on base, a 463 slugging, hit 16 homers. You finished the season on a DL. I think you had a high ankle sprain. You're, you everything all right now with the ankle? Yeah, everything great. The ankle, you know, just had uh, jumped up against the wall and kind of landed on it. And, you know, top way to end. I wish it would have ended that way because we were, you know, we were really in the playoff hunt with game two. We were making a strong push. So, um. You know, it kind of stinks it ended that way, but you know, everything happens for a reason, I guess. One of the things I noticed looking at your numbers was that last year, you're, you're, between last year and Billings, you dropped your strikeout percentage by almost three percent last year. Is that something you you, you worked on, or, or or is that something that just happened to to come about, or? You know, I think it, it is something I worked on, but I think it's just you know seeing the. Uh, seeing the professional pitching just for another extra year and like, you know, you look at all the up bats I had in between those two years, between instructs and then that following spring training. Um, you know, you kinda of just you kinda of just make your own adjustment and you kinda of learn to you know, to take certain pitches and, you know, to battle more with two strikes. You know, that you learn what you can do within those months. So yeah, it was something I worked on but I just feel like, you know, experiencing the pitching more and more, um, you kinda of, you kinda of get get better yourself, you know? So, so at this point, you've got you've got two, you know, a year and a half or almost two years under your belts in the minor leagues. Tell us about the best thing that you found about life in the minor leagues so far. Oh uh, well, everything really, you know, not nothing really, um, nothing really to me is wrong with the minor leagues. You know, I lo- I love every bit of it. You know, I love the bus rides. I love you know eating the peanut butter and jelly. You know, everything. Everything's just just a blast to me, you know. Um, and I get to play baseball every day. What beats that? And um, so it's just it's just a lot of fun, and I, I just enjoy playing the game every day. What's the What's been the biggest surprise to you about the, playing pro ball? Biggest surprise? Um. Hmm. Biggest surprise? What do you mean by that? And it's something you weren't expecting, or, or, or something that you you had to do as a as a pro player to keep yourself, you know, to keep yourself ready to play every day, or or whatever you, you weren't ready for that that you weren't aware of. Um, I guess I guess you could say, um, shoot, that's a tough question. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I didn't think that one would get me. Um, uh, probably just the, the I, I had to make like an adjustment to the game. Um, you know, there, there's always an adjustment I feel at every level that mm-hmm. you need to make. And you know, with my short season and then my low A, you know, just the adjustment of um, you know handling the the better pitching and then um, 
handling the better place. I don't think it's much of a surprise. Like, I knew that would happen, but just going through it, just, um, I, I, I don't know. I can't really think of a surprise. Okay. That's I, fine. Well, that, that's an answer in itself, you know. Yeah, I can't really think of a surprise, but, I mean, I guess, I guess I'll say, uh, I, I you know, know I that's to. fine. We'll move on. And if you think yeah, of something, we'll jump back I, in, okay? Yeah, I kind of feel just, you know, I guess the biggest surprise is not being surprised. There you, you go. Know, that's a, kind of, there you go. That's just, an answer. I feel, yeah, I feel prepared every year. You know, I know what I'm going in for. And, you know, I've, I've, I've learned from people and I ask questions. So I feel like you can't really be surprised if you ask questions. There you go. What what What's the biggest thing you think you need to improve right now? Uh, biggest thing, um, you know, my defense, I'm trying to take my defense to the next level. Well, just all around games, you know, you can never be too good of a defender, um, base runner or hitter. So I'm trying to polish everything there. And I'm just trying to, um, you know, really keep going in the weight room and, and stretching and hydrating. Talking about your defense, uh, you, you played left field last year and I, I'm not sure what you, what all you played at, at Billings. Um, was it, was it mostly left? Yeah, it was mostly left. I mean, I had a couple games in right, but yeah, mostly left in games. And, and I've read that they're talking about playing you in left and right this year. How strong is your arm? Personally, I think I have a really good arm. Um, <laughs> well, I, actually, I, I do have a really good arm. <laughs> and I like to, you know, I like to think, you know, well, I'm very confident in myself, so I'm going to tell you I have a really good arm. And it's very accurate, too, so... Um, you know, I like to. I threw some guys out last year. I don't know how many, but um, I believe I really got Let's see here. You had nine assists last year. Nine. Hey, that's not bad. Two the year before. Yeah. No, that's not bad okay. at all. Yeah, I'll take nine. There you go. I see, actually, I, I, actually, I, I, this I, I, year I, I, you're going to take more than nine, right? Right, absolutely. I should have had ten. I should have had ten, but I over I overthrew a catcher in Fort Wayne. Um, <laughs> He, he should have been out. I mean, he was a sitting duck, and I, I overthrew the catcher, so I should have had time. You airmailed but. him, huh? <laughs> so so, you, so you, you've already had an interesting lead-up to 2014 because you were at Reds Fest, and you were part of the Reds Winter Caravan. Yeah. Tell, tell us about doing awesome Reds event. Fest in the caravan. Oh, just an honor to be invited, and then um, just meeting all the different fans, you know, because at Reds Fest, yeah, well, actually, on the caravan, too, there was, some, there was some tough weather, you know, a lot of snow, and all the fans that came out and supported us, that was really cool, and um, just, you know, being on, you know, the caravan, being on the bus with Dick Williams, and then Cowboy, and uh, Tom Browning, and Jim Couch, it was just, you know, just, and Billy Hamilton, I forgot about Billy, it was, just, it was just really fun, and, you know, just going to town to town, being on the radio, and, you know, doing newspaper interviews, it was just really cool. Browning's a hoot, isn't he? <laughs> he's very funny. He's, he's definitely the man. I we did an interview. He he was he was on Red Lake Nation Radio a couple of years ago, and I asked him about his first game he started for the Reds, and he remembered seven of the eight starters, and they weren't your everyday names. I was very impressed with Tom's memory. Right? Yeah, that, that's awesome. I actually heard a story about him <laughs> on the Red Caravan where. He was sitting on the building in Chicago during the game. Have you ever heard that song? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my, oh my God. It was like people were talking about that story like his perfect game. It was just so funny. <laughs> it was so funny. The other story about him was that in the 90 World Series, he left the stadium, and they thought they were going to his wife. I think his wife was having a baby, and they thought they were going to have to call him back. Really? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> 
So have you? So have you? Between the caravan and the Reds Fest, have you met any ball players that, that you always wanted to meet, or guys that you went home and you told your friends, "Guess who I got to meet"? Um. <laughs> well, um, Eric Davis was on the was on the caravan. Well, I, I already met him through just like playing, but he he's really he's a really he's a very cool guy. But um, just that. Not at the caravan, but like last spring training, um, I met a lot of the big leaguers. So meeting Bruce and Votto, those were really really cool guys to meet, and you know just to talk it with them. But um, yeah, you know it's just very cool talking to the big leaguers and learning from them. You know, there's people that are comparing you to Jay Bruce. What do you think of that? Uh, just another that's just another honorable thing you know, to be talking about with Jay Bruce. Um, you know, you look at him; he's winning silver sluggers and you know playing very very great defense for the Reds. You know, that's where I want to be. So, um, very, very, it's a very, it's a true honor. So, other than the Red Fets and the Caravan, tell us what your off-season's been comprised of. Um, you know, I've been working out a lot, running a lot, and um, hitting and throwing, just, you know, trying to just get my game better and, you know, just spending quality time with my family. Um, and besides that, just um, enjoying Orlando. You know, I've been to a couple Magic games. Um, and, uh, I actually went to the Bills Miami Dolphins game down in Miami. That was pretty cool. That was actually really cool. Bills won on top of that. <laughs> do, do you take time off after the season's over or do you hit all year round? You know, because I was on the DL, um, I, I kind of, I kind of went right into it. I had to take some time off when I got home, but I've been hitting probably since late October. To be honest with you, I've been ready to go since November. I've been chomping at the bit. I, I, I've been, I'm, can't wait to go. I've been telling everybody, you know, I've been ready to go since November. So I've had to wait an extra couple months. So I've just been, I've just kind of just been hitting every day and throwing every, every other day. So I'm ready to go. So depending on what pop publication you look at, you're either the number four or five prospect in the system. But there are two, two other guys above you are outfielders, you know, Irvin and, and Hamilton. Does that mean anything to you? You know, it doesn't mean anything at all. They're both they're both very good players and very great teammates. And um, you know, I think I think what what makes everybody different is you know everyone has their own game. You know, everyone has to has to work hard and continue to be better. So you know, I just I just look forward to get, getting back out there with the guys. You know, and just hitting and playing and having fun. And, and you know, we all get to play baseball. Like I said earlier, you know, what beats that. Do you have a goal to be in the big leagues in X number of years or or anything like that? You know, I don't have a, like, a set date on where I want to be. I, you know, I know there's a process. You know, I know the Reds have a plan for me. You know, it's just my job to just worry about myself getting better and just playing hard and having fun and just trying to win, you know, as many championships as I can on the way out through the system. What What about, do, do you have a place where you hope to start the season or hope to end the season this year? Um, you know, I I really don't know. I'm just, I'm just excited to go back and, you know, like I said, just, you know, wherever they put me, they'll put me, and um, I'm just looking forward to, to going back and, uh, you know, just hitting, you know, playing in games, you know, just stuff. Like, I know it's just been four months, I really miss, you know, just sliding in the second and making a dive in left field. So, just looking forward to going back and just playing hard. If the Reds follow the plan with you that they followed with most guys, you're, you're probably going to start the season in Bakersfield. Would you Would you probably agree with that? Right, yeah, you know, I agree. Bakersfield's the next step, and um, you know, that's 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 high end, and um, 
So I, I look forward to, to starting wherever they put me. Well, everybody says that if you can advance at least one level every year, you're on schedule. You know, right? Uh, you you know now you are aware that when you're play, when you, if you're playing in Bakersfield, you're going to go through a little culture shock after playing Dayton last year, right? You know, I've heard, but um, <laughs> I've heard, but it's not going to bother me because I've heard some great things about California too being a hitters league, so I can't complain. Yeah, there you go. Baseball America, <laughs> Baseball America rates you as the number four guy in the organization, but you're rated the best power hitter and the best strike zone discipline. Which one of these means more to you? Um, you know, out of both of those, I'm going to say the play discipline because um, there's a lot of very powerful guys in the game of baseball, um, and I've met, I've met a lot. But you know, one thing I, I try to take my game to the next level by not, you know, not giving in to pitchers' pitches. You know, not giving in because sometimes they. You know, like taking taking good pitches, even though they might be a good a good strike, but it's not a hittable strike, you know. So I, I really just enjoy the battle between um, me and the pitcher, and you know I try not to give away one at bat. So I feel like you know you're going to walk sometimes, you're going to you know you're going to get some some hits, you know you're going to make you're obviously going to make outs, you know everyone knows that. But um, you know I feel like you give yourself a better chance, you know, the more disciplined you are, but instead of just you know going out there and slinging everything. You sound like you've been. It sounds like you're kind of out of the Joey Votto school. You know, I, I watching him hit. You know that guy. He's unbelievable. You know Votto. He he makes pitchers really come to him. You know, and it's just very cool to see. You know, there's there's more to hitting than just going up there and cruising. You know, to what I think too. So you know, I believe in a good approach, and um, you know, every once in a while you might have to just settle for a swing on the left. So. Are are you a stats guy? You know, not a big stat guy at all. Um, I just believe in, you know, hitting baseball hard and eventually they'll fall. Do you look at your numbers every day? I do, I do not pay attention to my numbers. You know, I feel like they're going to change too much too often to really get caught up with. You know, I play 140 games a year, so they're going to they're gonna be up, they're going to be down. I just try to worry about just getting better that day. Well, you know, it's just you and me here. Nobody's listening, so I'm going to ask you, you know, do, do, do you, you, and you can tell me the truth here. Do you do you set numerical goals for yourself going into a season? Um, I really don't. Um, I just set uh, like personal goals, like not not really numbers, but I just set like um, you know kind of different stuff. Like uh, like this year, I want to I want to continue to be stronger as the year goes on, and I want to be more flexible at the end of the year than I am now. Um, like stuff like that. I really don't get caught up with the numbers because I know as long as I as I do, as long as I do what I need to do every day, and you know, just keep making the the improvements I need to make, I know the numbers will be there anyway. Now, last year you played, you know, about twice as many games. You didn't have quite quite twice as many plate appearances. How were you feeling in in, in September? You know, in September, being on the DL, I was still a little tired. You know, my body has never felt that, never felt that way before. You know, you go through some times where you're like, holy cow, like you're not 100. percent You know, you're 50. percent but, you know, I, I really think um, to succeed, you got to be able to, you know, when you're not feeling that good, you still got to, you know, buckle down and go find a way to, you know, help your team win. And that's what it's all about, you know, because you're going to have some, some rough days. You know, that's the, that's the honest truth of baseball. So you're going to have some rougher days, you know, feeling, you know, just your body feeling down. So um, I just feel like, you know, those are the games that you got to really, really bear down and, and help your, you know, do your best to help your team win. How much has your family got to see you play in the last couple of years? Um, my family's gotten to see me a lot, actually. Um, my dad made about 
two or three trips up to Dave with my brother. You know, that was um this year was the first time my brother, my middle brother, got to see me play baseball professionally. So that was really cool when he came up to Dave. They loved it. My mom, my mom was up there like four times, and on top of that, she got to go to opening day. Check this out. She was at opening day. She was at Fourth of July and the All Star break. She got to see the All Star game too. Wow. Yeah, she made some good trips there. Yeah, she saw she saw the best of the Dayton Dragons, didn't she? She got she definitely <laughs> got the best of the Dayton Dragons. And she always happened to have really really good seats too. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, well, Jesse, that's about all I have, and and I want to thank you for your time and, and wish you luck this season. And when are you headed out for Goodyear? I leave. I actually leave this Sunday. You know, I'm going out a little earlier. Um, my report date was March 5th. But I'm going out this Sunday. You know, I, like I told you, I've been ready to go since November, so the earlier I can get out there, I was, I was taking that ticket. So. Well, maybe we can catch up sometime again later this during the season. You know, when you're hitting about 350 and, and, and like 10 or 12 homers by the all-star break hey you know that sounds you know that sounds really good so i look forward to that phone call Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.